Hey there, you're listening to the Business of Baking podcast, and in today's episode, I have the extreme joy of interviewing Bronwyn Weber from Frosted Art Bakery and Studio, which is located in Dallas, Texas. She's been in the industry a really long time and has so many interesting things to say, plus she's just screamingly funny. In today's episode, we talked all about managing a team and what it's like to have to look after a whole bunch of people, and we dip our toe into the water of the cottage food law and all the home bakers and the controversy that surrounds that. She also tells us a little bit about the realities of being on TV and whether or not the TV industry has done a good thing or a bad thing for us cakers. Thanks so much for listening. It's one hell of an interview and I think you'll really enjoy it. You're listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. So on today's podcast, I have the extreme pleasure of chatting to Bronwyn Weber, who is the executive pastry chef of Frosted Art Bakery and Studio in Dallas, Texas. It was uh, actually a massive adventure to see her last year when Sharon and I were visiting Dallas. It is quite the Texan experience. There are cakes taller than me in that showroom. And to put this into perspective for you, I'm six foot tall. So it was quite the adventure. It, it, quite the adventure. So for those of you who don't know who Bronwyn is, you've clearly been living under a rock. But in case you haven't been living under a rock, she got into the industry uh, when she was a teenager. She started working at a cake shop when she was 14 years old and then never left. Originally, she was born in Canada, but then traveled the world uh, with her parents growing up uh, as part of her dad's career and eventually settled in Texas. She has been a regular in cake competitions uh, in real life and on television. And it's fair to say she's won more than anybody else, including the grand prize of the Oklahoma Sugar art show which by the way i thought like only mystery people win that so i'm actually quite impressed that i know somebody who's won that now uh she's appeared on <laughs> she's appeared on food network more than 27 times apparently or so says google teaches locally and internationally um and although it's fair to say that bronwyn is famous for the look and taste of her cakes and sheer size we should say i think she should be famous just for being plain hilarious really so thanks you Bronwyn. Are too kind. <laughs> thanks Bronwyn for coming and chatting to me today. I'm super excited because I feel like you are my people. So this is going to be great fun. I definitely believe so. <laughs> so I wanted to start up start off early. I know that I gave a little bit of your history of, of starting out as a kid in a cake that shop. That was good. Yeah, 14 That's years right. old. Man, I feel like at 14, yeah. does anybody know what they want to do in life? You know, I was one of those crazy ones. I mean, I was one of those like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to practice in the garden when I'm five making soup made of dandelions. I mean, I was I always, always wanted to be a cook. I mean, I thought my mom was a genius when I was just a little kid. I didn't realize like, oh, there's just a book that tells her how to make these cakes. I mean, I remember like, well, wow, how did she how did she know to do that? Yeah. 
I mean, she is a genius. Yes, she is. She yeah, had but you. But now I have discovered, yeah. It's pretty <laughs> funny. So that, I mean, I always wanted to do that. I'm one of those lucky few that, that knew from a very young age. I mean, I, I don't know that that happens anymore. You know, I think you've got to find yourself when you're 30-something and then, and then decide when you're in your mid-30s. But, no, I knew when I was a little kid. I think that's pretty okay. amazing. So tell me how you got tell, – tell me about your career progression from a business point of view. So we know you started in the cake, in the cake shop, and they were either crazy or genius enough to let you in the kitchen. And what happened after that? How did you get to be managing director of this very established, well-known uh, bakery? You know, it was funny. The, the first shop I actually started in was a donut shop. It was a little bakery in Canada, and they actually let me fry the donuts. It was totally illegal. But then I, you know, I obviously loved it and not, not so much the donuts, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I, from there I moved to Calgary and I worked in a few restaurants. I did the baking. I also could do, I'm, I can also do a short order breakfast like you wouldn't believe. You know, I can handle 30 people's eggs orders. Crazy, crazy. But, uh, I did all the baking and, you know, I really wanted to be a pastry chef. I really was focused on, the actual kind of science of it. And then I remember early on thinking that cake decorating was a little bit crazy. Like, why would you spend so long on something? Hindsight is twenty twenty, And I was like, oh, oh, geez. If I just had more time, I could have really actually made something, you know. And so then I was just completely hooked. I worked, let's see, I moved from Canada to Dallas and pretty much had to start at the bottom. I got a job at a bakery and started at the very bottom and this was in a kind of a high-end grocery retail store we had it was a huge bakery I mean it did more than seven figures a year it was huge there was probably 40 or 50 employees at the time it was insane we had bread bakers from Germany I mean it was not what you think of when you go to the local Kroger it wasn't like that so it was it was neat I at that point learned from a woman who was classically trained at the Culinary Institute of America I mean, she's still my hero. I still see her occasionally, you know, and I learned a whole lot from them. And then I ended up staying with the company for probably 10 years, but I started at the very bottom and I ended in uh, corporate bakery. I ended up being the trainer to teach people how to run bakeries. It was pretty fun. You know, it's interesting. I think that supermarket cake decorators often get a bad rap and I think it's the opposite. I actually think right. that they have the one skill that most of us don't have, which is speed. Absolutely. And, and an understanding. If you cake decorating, you can actually make a living. Abs- well, yeah. that's, that's the thing, right? And my whole thing is I tell everyone this. I'm like, let me tell you right now. The biggest problem in your business is that you work too freaking slow. That's it. You're just too slow. You need to speed up. And I often yeah. tell people that as your first job, go and try to be a supermarket cake decorator because yeah they'll teach you to ice a cake in less than a minute they will exactly and they will teach you that time is money and they will teach you that it's all about making the customer happy and not about making you necessarily happy right actually teaches you a lot about customer service so you you ended up teaching people how to do this and then how did you jump from that business to this one so was there anything in between those two you know i the whole time i was working in the supermarket bakeries they actually allowed me to work other jobs, and so I worked at high-end bakeries as well. And so a lot of time, I mean, I most of my career I had two jobs. <laughs> you had to to make a living. Yeah. And so during the weekends I would work, you know, Fridays I would work overnight making wedding cakes for a smaller company, and then I'd go back to the grocery store on Saturday, 
after working all night. Then I'd go back, deliver the cakes, and then Sunday, usually I would get that day off. So, Bronwyn, you haven't, crazy. you haven't slept in like 20 years. <laughs> no, still, nah. I mean, who needs sleep? Whatever. <laughs> totally right. Yeah. Nobody, nobody needs sleep. It's, it's funny but that... One of those, one of those jobs I worked at was actually this very bakery. I worked for the previous chef who was extremely well known. You know, he was a contemporary of Colette Peters way back before cake was even popular. So he was a, he was wonderful. And so he taught me a whole lot. So I worked for him for a while. That, you know, what's, you know, you know, what's funny about that is that I actually, so I'm, I'm also a trained chef and pastry chef and I actually worked for the same person like three times in three different jobs. It is actually kind of funny how you, you tend to gravitate towards certain places or certain people or certain whatever. And many chefs that I've spoken to in my own career, like, are like, oh, this is my second time here. Oh, this is my third time here. Like, it's funny how we tend to return to the scene of the crime, (laughs) so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember him telling me, now, if you stay, I'll teach you the double basket weave. Ooh. Oh, that's like the holy grail. I have no idea. I have no idea what that is. I don't know either. I ended up moving. I moved to cities at that time in Texas, so I ended up leaving here. So I never did find it. I feel like we need to Google that. I've never heard it. I know. I can't ever find anything on it. What is that? Is he still alive? I feel like you need to call him and find out now. He retired somewhere and no one knows where he is. Seriously? What did he just like yeah. fall into a vat of melted chocolate he or did. something? He, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so he retired and then mm-hmm. you thought, yep, I'm going to take over this place. Well, yeah. So after I had my 10 year stint at the supermarket, I actually got a job teaching at a culinary school. And so I taught cake, the art of cake and chocolate and sugar at a, at a pastry school. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I got a call. One of my chef friends called me and he said, hey, there's this bakery that's looking for a new chef in Dallas. And so I looked it up and I put two and two together so I could kind of figure out like, oh, it's frosted art. And so then I, I thought, well, you know, I miss making cakes every day because I love teaching, but I certainly miss making cakes. I mean, I went from working 80, 90, 100 hours a week to when I was a teacher working 40, and I was like, what am I You're supposed like, to do? What do people do all this time? time? Yeah. Just quietly, just quietly, Bronwyn, I can't really see you taking up, like, crochet or anything. Uh, no. <laughs> no. That's not going to work. Okay, so, no. so you, you found out that it was them – you got the job, and so now you run this place. And when right. we, we say, as you said to me earlier, your chief complaints department, dishwasher, everything. Oh, yeah. Really. If, you, if you need someone to blame, that's me. If you want someone to yell at, that's me. But if you have a compliment, I'll also take that. Right. And Well, hopefully the compliments out outstrip the complaints. Oh, they do. They do. Now, so tell me a little bit about Day in the Life of Bronwyn. So now here you are running this team, right? So you've gone from from being part of a team to teaching people to then teaching full-time, and now you are managing a full team from where you used to be an employee, which is great. So tell me a bit about the whole team part of it, because how many people do you guys currently have? Quite a few, yeah? We have... On any given day, between 12 and 15. Yeah, yeah. which is a lot of people to Not be looking after. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of personalities to either click or don't, you know. Yeah. Actually, right now, we have a really good a really good team. We have some green people, 
some new people, but we also have some people who have been here for a very long time, which is nice. I I'm 12 years almost. 12 years? Oh, my gosh. Maybe it's 11, 11 and a half, something. Wow. A long time. Well, you haven't burned the place down yet, so I think you're doing all right. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the guys, he's been here for probably 28 years. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible because you rarely hear about that kind of loyalty anymore. I know. And he's, I say he's the guy that holds the walls up. He does everything. He can make the icings. He delivers the cakes. He does it all. So now that you manage this business, so one of the things I, I talk about a lot is that basically the more successful your business becomes or a business becomes, the less you get to make cake. And that if you want to spend right. your time making the product, then as a business owner, you've got to really prioritize that as part of your jobs. But obviously that comes at the cost of something else. So you now yeah. are in this management role looking after the place. How much do you get to play with cake? You know, I still, I feel like I play with cake exactly as much as I want to. So during the beginning of the the week, I meet with brides, you know, I'm selling cakes and, you know, worrying about all my emails and things like that. And then towards the end of the week, that's when I get to go in the kitchen and help finish. So I'm just a finisher at this point. And I can pick and choose and the things that I don't like to do, I've taught someone to do and I've found someone who does like to do those things. So it works out. It works out for everybody. Yeah, it worked out you know, for I me. Did I did the same stuff. thing. I, I did the same thing. I was always in the kitchen on a Friday, just doing the finishing of the stuff that I wanted to finish, or or the stuff that yep. uh, that I had an emotional connection to the client or whatever. Exactly. And so I would sell things that I wanted to do because I I would sell. I mean, it really helps to be on the one end. Yeah, but, well, because then you get to lead the creative direction of the place as well. Exactly. So yeah. in the so in if those, I want to build a cake. Yeah. You build a cake. You walk underneath, then I sell it. I read some yeah. somewhere online that you made some cake with like cannons or something. And I'm like, only in Texas, man. <laughs> only I mean, in Texas. For a while, it was really trendy for the cake to be the entertainment. And I thought that was the best trend ever. We did one cannon. Somebody found out they did, we did one. So the next person needed three. Then we needed five in succession. Boom, boom, timed. Get, it got more complicated every time. And it was really fun. Because my favorite part of cake decorating is actually the moment I, because I always just say yes. Can you do? Absolutely. Or I have all these crazy ideas in my head that I want to do. And so I'll try and match the right person to those crazy ideas. And the favorite part is from that moment, figuring out how the heck we're going to do it. How am I going to do a 25 foot cake? Okay, now that I've said yes, what are we going to do? Yeah, that's the best part. I wrote, an, I wrote an article recently called The Last Half Hour of Glory, which is basically <laughs> which is basically what all cake decorators live for. That last half hour where you put on that last flower or you fire up the cannon and you go, oh, my God, I pulled it off. And you have this yeah. la- last half hour of glory, the, the pulling it off. We exactly. all do it. We all do it for the last yeah. half hour. Everything leading up to then is just like nice. But really, it's that last half hour when you present it to the client and the cannon actually goes off or the flowers look perfect or whatever. And you just have your moment of glory. It's the best. I know. It's lovely. It is. And then you got to get a good picture because if you don't, oh, my God, I'll cry. <laughs> yeah. My own pet peeve is pictures of cakes in a box. Like take yes. it out, take What's it out of the box, about? take it out of the box. Uh, yeah, please take mm-hmm. it out of the box. Or you know what? Here's a novel concept: take the photo before you've put it in the box. 
No kidding, right? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Please tell me, how does one take a decent photo of a six-foot-high cake? You know, it's it's kind of tricky. The first <laughs> thing you do is befriend photographer. Absolutely. And then uh, taunt them with some cake, and you tell them that, please send me the pictures as soon as you get them. I will give you cake in return. Cake's a powerful weapon. It's all about the bribery. Yeah. Is that what so you're I always, me? always befriend the photographer because it is tough. It is tough to take a picture of the really big one. Well, yep. ser- seriously, right? I mean, hello. You have to, like, practically go across the room <laughs> in order to fit yes. it all in. And then you, I mean, you. I always do a picture, though, of me next to it just so that you can get the scale because otherwise you have no idea how big it is. Se- seriously, yeah. you know, I remember saying to you, actually, like, do people actually order these cakes or are these just here to impress people? And I remember you saying some. I can't remember exactly, but it was something like, Michelle, this is Texas. People actually order these cakes. <laughs> I, was like, I know. I mean, oh all this, our first wedding of the year in January when everybody's slow, huge, giant wedding, huge cake, huge. Okay, define huge, yeah. though, because I feel like when you say huge, that means not, you know. It's probably seven feet tall, something like that, which is pretty big for a January wedding. I feel like that's pretty big January, for any wedding. Yeah. Well, you know. Everything's bigger in Texas. So, so, so in the in the middle of running this this bakery and you know working a gajillion jobs and presumably having at least a little bit of a life, you have found the time to be uh, on Food Network more than any other human on earth. I think I don't know if that's an accurate statement, but pretty close. <laughs> so I I remember saying to you also when we met that hey Bronwyn, I heard that you are Food Network's most winning chef or most most winning participant and you laughed and said i I believe i'm also food network's most losing participant (laughs) i am you know i just played the most and i think for me it was about playing i really didn't i mean i didn't practice it always made me laugh when people practiced because i was like you know i've been making cake for more than 20 years i've been practicing my whole life you didn't practice making the same cake there's you no need, dry run. You didn't need to practice, love. You've been practicing your whole life since you were right. 14, right? Yeah. I yeah. feel, like, I feel course, like even if there was a donut yeah. challenge, you'd be all over that. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, it's just fun. For me, it's fun. You know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really competitive with other people, but I'm, it's like I like to add that stamp to, you know, the, in the cartoons where they take a stamp and they put it on their airplane, the back of the airplane. Uh, to me, that's what they are. Like, oh, you know, I want to do a cake that's hanging from the wall or I want to do a cake that has a cannon or I want to do a cake that has a running fountain that recirculates five gallons of water. Done, 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 done. You know, and it just keeps getting more ridiculous. Just want to do all those things. And, and, yeah. and the fact is figuring out is the fun part, really. So, yeah, you know. it is. So let me it's ask ridiculous. You, we'll do it. Let me ask you about this TV thing, though. So I have to say that since I started teaching in the U.S., I have met, oh, I don't know, dozens of people who have been on something. Cake Wars, Cupcake right. Wars, Last Cake Standing, right. what, whatever. They've been on something. And it, it, it feels yep. like, and I mean no disrespect, but it feels like basically to get on a cake show in the U.S. is not that hard anymore. <laughs> and it's not No, I think there's a... About 12 decorators that haven't been on, but I mean, it's still beginning of the season, so yeah, right. probably by, by the end of the year, every single year. American cake decorator will be on. It, yeah. it definitely feels like that. And I think you know, something people ask me is like, Michelle, should I be on this TV show? You know, will it, will it change my career? Will I, will I get a whole bunch of business? And they, 
I do think that certainly in the beginning, a lot of people were doing it as kind of a marketing profile business point of view. But that, in my opinion, right. has really been diluted a whole lot. Right. The and, market has been completely saturated. Right. And the, yeah. the other part of this television show thing is that, I, you know, I started cake decorating when I was you know, a bajillion years ago and business was going really well. But I can almost pinpoint the point at which... Uh, Buddy and Duff got on TV because that's when the industry just exploded with people watching them and going, hey, I can do that, or hey, that looks interesting, or that looks fun. So to me, the whole television phenomenon, while on the one hand, has brought us as an industry amazing attention and loads of celebrity status, and you know, I often say cake is the new black. On the other hand, it's caused us a whole lot of problems by by exploding the industry in, in, in a way that I think... I don't know that it's done us any favors. And, and particularly when you look at the shows like Cake Boss and whatever, okay, those are things that are filmed to make it look like things take five minutes. And right, they, they exactly. Don't. So I'm just yeah. curious, having having been part of this television revolution, what are your thoughts on this whole, is it doing us any favors? Has it wrecked us? I re- well, I think, I mean, I think it really put cake in the forefront of a wedding. It wasn't. I mean, if you can remember before that, you know, that first competition show, Cake was, you know, they all kind of look the same and it's kind of an afterthought like, oh, yeah, I got to go to the bakery and get that cake. Cake was dessert. But since the shows, I feel like it's been given a little more importance, a little more weight to the wedding or to a celebration in general. And you got to have the cake and you got to have the right cake. And instead of dessert, it's become art. But unfortunately, it still has the price tag of dessert, which is the Really, the problem that we're all facing. Whoa, Whoa that was just deep. That Holy, was, that was <laughs> that was. I'm gonna deep. get my shovel. <laughs> but it is yeah. true. But it is. It's funny. Like on the one hand, I think it's great that we have all this attention now, and cake is such right. a big thing now. But right. this, this leads me to my next question, which is one of the I don't know. I guess the joys slash terrible parts of the cake industry as a whole is that the barrier to entry is very low. I mean, right. you can walk into a Michaels and do a class for free. I think Michaels does them free. Yeah. I mean, you can do yeah. a craftsy class for like 20 bucks. It's not that hard to become a cake no. decorator. Now, we're not the only ones who suffer from this. The photographers suffer from this too, where they have everybody who has an iPhone suddenly thinks they're like Ansel Adams or something. Suddenly, so it's not just us, but the, the barrier to entry is really low. Getting on television now is, particularly in the United States, not that challenging anymore. And this has created a generation of bakers and decorators who are not like you and I, trained in kitchens and trained in high speed and trained in all this kind of stuff. And I know that um, the cottage food law in the U.S. is a, is a major major topic of contention over there and I never intended for this podcast to become controversial so I'm not going to start now <laughs> but I do want to touch on that so here here in Australia the way it works is kind of like with you guys basically but here it's not by state it's by municipality so some municipalities will let you bake at home no problem others have a list of rules as long as your arm others won't let you do it at all it really it honestly can vary like me and my neighbor across the street can have different rules it's that kind of crazy here but for for you guys in the states it goes by state and i know that a couple by of years state. ago by state and i know that um, I think it's 14 states or something currently have cottage laws and the other ones don't. I mean, some states, like I know in uh, New York, it's just not allowed at all, but in California it right. is. And so a couple of years ago, Texas 
had this law come into uh, effect. And I know that you right. were, were not a supporter of the cottage law. And I guess my personal views are it. On the one hand, I think, hey, the more the merrier, et cetera, et cetera. I think the problem we have is that whether the law exists or not, not everyone follows it. Correct. And, and that's a problem. Yeah. And I, you have to understand that I see it as a business person. You know, I have to follow restrictions that every year are getting more strict. You know, now we're, you know, this whole not trans fat thing is is affecting every bakery. And my wait, restrictions wait, what's are that about? I haven't heard about this. Tell me stricter. about this. Oh, yeah. You know, we're not allowed to use trans fats. Um, since I ship across state lines, I'm actually inspected by the city, the state. Right. And now the FDA. If you've ever been through an FDA inspection, it's multiple days. Oh. And so I have to be able to track my flour from the source. And very soon, I'm going to have to have batch numbers on every batch of cake I produce. Oh. And so for me, how I see it is that the restrictions are getting much, much tighter at the top, which I have no problem with because we need to protect our citizens, right? But at the very bottom, the restrictions are getting much looser. And so I, I feel like you can't have that. You can't have both. That either we need to equalize it a little bit. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of things that can go wrong in a kitchen if you're not trained properly. And so I have no problem with people making cake out of their home if they follow the rules. And if the rules are strong enough to protect children, because children are the ones who are going to ultimately eat those cakes. Right. That, that, that's a major thing for me as well. That I don't, I also don't have a problem with home bakers. I mean, I started at home and, you know, I think a, right. a, a vast majority of us currently in the, the industry will have started that way, but the rules right. need to be there. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, it's a little bit like, um, insurance. I, people often query whether or not they need business insurance if they're working from home. And I say to them, look, insurance exists to protect both the owner and the end purchaser. Exactly. If, exactly. If somebody buys something from you and yeah. lies about something or does something stupid or claims they got sick or whatever, like the insurance is there to protect you and help you fight that. And so for me, the cottage food laws are kind of the same thing. And there are people out there who would disagree with us right. very, very strongly and would say, what's the big deal? It's cake. Nobody gets sick from cake or cookies or whatever. And, you know, I'm just trying to make a buck and why should I have to pay for insurance and regulations and whatever? And so to those people who would say to you, look, Ronwen, it's just a hobby. I just do it for fun. Makes me a little pocket change. Why do I have to go through all this rigmarole? What would you say? We all need to protect the value of cake. You know, we all have to respect it. And it is an art form. And I feel like, especially in my city, the you know, the cost of cake per serving has gone down over the last decade. Whereas the decade previous, I worked really, really hard to get that price per slice up there. And now it's just going down. Because, and I, you know, I talk to home bakers all the time. And they say, well, I don't have any overhead, so I shouldn't charge as much. Well, of course you should. You should charge the same. The cake still has the same value regardless of who you are because cake should have value. It should, there should be like the cake standard, like the gold standard, in my opinion, because it's a valuable art form. We all need to assign it value. If we assign it value, then other people will assign it value and buy it. You know, but if you are lowering the price so much that you're giving your time away, then you're devaluing it for everyone. I also think it's a false economy to believe that home bakers don't have overheads. Oh, I I know. 
Yeah. Have a, oh, have absolutely. It's just absorbed by their absolutely. family. And so I don't think that, I mean, I hear all the time that people will undercut my prices, which is fine. You can undercut them, but don't undercut them by 50%. What is, what is an undercut average? Undercut them by five. What is an, an you know, average cake slice? The money. What, what's the cost of a cake serving for you now? I would say starting price five, but we're seeing cakes as low as $1.50 in Dallas. And for some perspective, when I was working at that grocery store 20 years ago, we were at $3 a serving for a wedding cake. Oh, that, that like, I swear That's my heart, perspective. Like, my heart just yeah. like dropped into my stomach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, I mean, all I want is that the value of cake remains high and we all have to value it to do it, you know, to make that happen. Yeah. And I, and I think to a degree, the TV situation has devalued it. Because people watching those shows don't see the time it took to make the icing, the degrees, right. the, you know, the degrees or the training or the classes we all went to. They don't see that. They see exactly. Exactly. Buddy shows up with a big mixer full of icing, slaps it on, bada bing, bada boom. It's all good. By the way, I'm not anti-Buddy. I'm just using that as an example, right? Right. right, right. So I think part of it is people see it so much. It's become kind of common to have these showpiece cakes and others don't value it. And so you're right. Therefore, if we're also not valuing it, you know, nobody wins here, basically. Yeah. You know, and I hear all the time from people and they say, well, no one will pay that here. Yeah. But if you charge a dollar today, you can't charge three tomorrow. And also, you know, if you build it, they will come. And it's also like nobody, really? Who are these nobodies that I know. a yeah. year ago were, will pay someone else that kind of money? I think, mm-hmm. you know, one of the major issues with pricing is that attitude. People won't pay me for what I'm, you know, people won't pay me for every hour I work. People won't pay me for what the product is worth. It's so easy to blame the other guy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We forget that when we are consumers, right, when we go out and buy anything, a car, a TV, uh, groceries, whatever, Price matters to us sometimes. Price doesn't matter to us a lot of the time. And usually it's just one item in a long list of things we care about. Exactly. I mean, look at designer purses. That's the perfect example for me. I mean, you're going to spend how much money on something to hold the money that you don't have any longer because you spent it all on the purse. (laughs) You know what I mean? But people are used to that, and so then, oh, they've assigned the value to the things like that. Now we just need to do the same thing Yeah. to our industry. Starbucks did it for a cup of coffee. We need to do it for ours. People will always spend money on what they value. That's it. Your money and your attention and your time go to the things you care about. That's it. Absolutely. Right. I mean, the, you know, on the on the on the handbag front, there are plenty of people who will go to Southeast Asia and buy that same handbag knockoff for a quarter of the price. What are they valuing? Right. They're not valuing the workmanship or even the brand name. They're all they're valuing is how it looks to other people. That's where their value right. is sitting, you know. So. And of course, don't get me wrong. I still want all those purses too. <laughs> you know. Are you secretly, <laughs> are you secretly a handbag girl? Is that your thing? I do love handbags. I mean, you know, but <laughs> so what you need. I also to do... want to have some money to put in them too. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Funny, funny how that works, right? So it's yeah. very uh, the the whole. Um, I guess my final word on that whole cottage law home baker thing is, you know what? Just because you make cake and you're good at it, you actually don't have to sell it. Like right. there is no golden right, right. rule which says 
just because you're good at it and you like doing it means you have to sell it. You can just make stuff for fun and love and having a good time. No kidding. And I still do that. I mean, my family members are spoiled. I, I say there's cakes that you do to sell and there's cakes for people that you love. And they're th- totally different. I think there is a real pressure now, though, to sell them. I think there is a pressure on that. Like, uh, rare is the person I meet who's like, yeah, I just really like baking for fun. <laughs> Maybe I'm not hanging out yeah. with the right people. But it just seems like yeah. there is, like, an unspoken societal pressure that if you're good at something, it doesn't even have to be cake, right? It can be pictures or crochet or whatever you want. There is kind of, like, this thing that, like, oh, you should so sell that. You'd make a fortune. Well, how about not? How about you? Yeah, just... I don't know very many bakers who make fortunes. <laughs> They're all spending yeah. it on handbags, Bronwyn. <laughs> I guess they are, yeah. <laughs> so it's an interest it's an interesting topic and I, I feel like there will always yeah. be this us versus them mentality, which I don't have. I think there's plenty of room for everybody, but I, I wholeheartedly right. agree with you that it is about valuing the product and and making Absolutely. consumers and making consumers understand that the product has value intrinsically. You know, that's just part of the thing. The money topic is an interesting one for me. I, I used to say way back when I started teaching uh, business classes, I used to say that, yeah, you can make a pretty reasonable living from cake because I certainly had done it. And I believed that it would be the case because I've seen other people do it and whatever. But now when I teach, I don't say that at all. I say, I think the only way to make a, a decent living, and of course, each person needs to define decent living for themselves. But I say that right. essentially the name of the game now is you have to diversify. If you are relying only on custom cake, I don't think you can actually make a good living from that. And I say to people, you have to diversify. Now, what you diversify in, obviously, there's lots of different options. But as an example, something people don't know about Frosted Art is that you guys sell dessert cake. Like as in not yeah, highly decorated, yeah. not event cake. And I know when I saw you a couple months back that you guys even offered, which I love this, but can I say I would use this like way too often, which is delivery of slices of cake via Uber Eats, which I think is amazing. Right. And I know that you personally also teach and you've got TV and you've got all this other stuff. So tell me a little bit about that, about earning money in this industry and having to kind of diversify and offer up other things, other options, you know? I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of people do now teach. Yeah, I would say that we have our, what we call bread and butter cakes, pay the rent, they pay the salaries. And then the really crazy ones, the giant ones, the ones that explode, I mean, the cherry, it's the fun stuff. It's what keeps us excited about the next one. But typically it's a lot of bread and butter cakes. You know, it's that same thing that everybody else is doing. You know, the textured buttercream and lots of gold and my colors are still blush and bashful and I'm tired of it. But we all are. You know, we do same old cakes all the time, every week. You know, we have one, you know, the one that's got the horizontal texture. We have shortened that to Horho, which means horizontal home style or horrible hoe bag whatever but you know though you know we do a lot of that a lot of that and everybody is so surprised that we do that but we got 5,000 square feet of building that we got to pay for you know okay so so tell me some real numbers how many cakes do you make a week and of those how many are super special fancy I would say 10% of our cakes Uh, actually maybe that's a little too maybe 8% of our cakes are super fancy I would say a good 50% of our cakes are wedding cakes, but most people don't opt for the gigantic 
supersized faux tears, bling, sparkly. Most people are picking something that would fit comfortably within a reasonable budget. So isn't that interesting that 92% of that business is just, I mean, still beautiful, delicious, whatever, but basically standard cakes, we are pushing out the door to make a living. Exactly. And, you know, everybody here knows it. And they know that, oh, well, you know, this is what we have to do in order to, you know, have full-time jobs doing what we love. Well, that's kind of the price you pay, right? Yeah, exactly. It's funny. People are often surprised when, like when I interview people and I say, so what else does your business do? And then they bust out with, oh, I also make kid cakes or I also sell slices or I also whatever. And people are always surprised by this. And this is all about the digital revolution, right? Because let's face it, you're not going to put a hundred or whatever it is. Exactly. You're not going to put like a hundred of those on social media because that's not exciting to look at. So isn't that interesting that there's this perception that all these high end bakeries doing are these super fancy, amazing cakes. And that's not reality. You know, one time I went and visited Mike McCary in Seattle and I went to see his shop and I was so surprised to see the same old cakes like that everybody else has. And I guess I just had the same impression that other people do of us. Like mm. all we do is crazy cool things all mm. the time. Well, as I mean, we get to do them pretty often, but not like I'm working on a sculpted atlas now and, you know, or whatever. And then a giant cannon. I actually, somebody told me that about Mike McCary, that he, his, mm-hmm. his bread and butter is exactly right. Buttercream textured cake. Like everybody and I, else. Yeah. Yes. And I, I met him at Cake International last year and I said, I heard this rumor. Can you tell me if that's true? And he said, it is 100% true. And I've actually since invited him to also be interviewed so we can talk about that very thing. And he said, I'm yeah. happy to tell you numbers, but that's the reality of it. I get the freedom to do these 3D, crazy, amazing, beautiful, you know, out of the box stuff. Because I'm happy to do the production work. Right, right. So a lot of the cakes we take are to pay the people. Some of the cakes are to keep the people, hmm. you know, to keep them happy, to keep them interested. Well, I Not think that's... as the, much as you do with a textured buttercream cake. Well, the nature of it, too, is that when you take a crazy cake on and you have the Bronwyn attitude of, yeah, I can totally do that. Sometimes I can totally do that. It takes a little longer than you budgeted for. You know, sometimes it always, it always takes longer. So we do add, I mean, I I do add extra to it, but it's still, it always surprises me. But we're having fun and, you know, when you're having fun and you're doing something that you absolutely love to do, when the clock hours just zoom by and you're in the zone, we get to do that every week and it's wonderful. Yeah, we have a pretty cool job. I mean, let's face it, we play with sweet things all day. We get to make mm-hmm. cool stuff. People think we're awesome right. because we have these magical, mystical skills. And really, no one's ever unhappy when they come to order a cake. I know. And we're never there for a bad day. Nobody uh-huh. orders a cake for anything terrible. Not even florists have this because florists have people ordering for funerals. We don't even have that. Right. Nope. It's so nice. It, we have a really cool job. Really. We do. I love it. So, so in the past, however many years you've been in this gig, and we know you only just turned 21, so it hasn't been that long. I know. I'm just so young. (laughs) So since it's only been five minutes since you've been doing this, I think it's fair to say that you have ridden the wave of the, the massive, massive, massive change in the industry. 
not not just from people coming in, but also stylistically and obviously financially. Oh, with the, completely. You you have definitely survived uh, and thrived through a lot of that stuff. And so I thought I'd ask you, given the current state of the industry now versus when it was when you kind of got started and were doing the whole grocery thing, what would you say is the best part and the worst part of the change that you've seen from then till now? I would say it's kind of the the same thing. The best and worst are people's expectations. I remember when I could put three flowers on a cake, you could just pipe with some buttercream and people would be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to shed a tear. That is, a, that is amazing. That is beautiful. And now if you do the same thing, people will be like, what? Where's the rest of it? Doesn't it fly? This right. is it? Yeah. So we have made it cool. But boy, we have to make it cooler and cooler and cooler all the time. It takes, it takes, it's harder to impress people. Do you think, do you think that's going to slow down? You know, I thought for a second it might, you know, with this naked cake thing, which is funny. I had, you know, somebody emailed me saying, you know, I've always been against naked cakes and, you know, I just would direct them to other people and thought, well, maybe this is just going to be the new thing. You know, it always made me laugh when people say, can you? make the the naked cakes and i'm thinking if i can fully clothe one you don't think i could half-ass it of course i can you know um and that was really popular for a while but i thought it was going to continue on like that but i feel like we're over that hurdle you never know what you want until you get it and then you're like well i don't i didn't i didn't really want that naked cake i mean we of course did them because i mean i did that same thing with cake balls i'll never make a cake ball Oof, no, already chewed cake, no. And then someone called to order 3,000. I said, when would you like to pick them up or where can I deliver them? I mean, I eat my words almost as often as I eat my cake. To be fair, though, by cake ball number 12, I think you would have been hating your life. Those things are a pain. I know, they are. They are, but I, I feel like they're less often people order them so here is you know let me just climb up on my soapbox for a moment if you'll indulge me here so i have an issue with this whole expectations thing because can i tell you i think cakers created that and it's rubbish i don't think it's true because the number of times a client will order a 3d standing tiger on a surfboard holding a mango with a firecracker coming out of its butt Uh is Not that often compared to the times people are going to order ye old ho-ho cake. Right. So I think that we think that people want that stuff, but they don't. And when I look at, um, in particular classes, when I look at people teaching and I look at the designs they're teaching, look, I'm in awe of that artistry and I think it's beautiful and amazing. But the businesswoman in me looks at those classes and goes, how often is someone ordering that? Yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, people still want it. I mean, I get calls all the time, but I think the creativity has to take that client with their expectation and kind of push it into something that's more cost effective for them and profitable for you. You know, because I don't want to just brush off the, I would like a bullet train with this and I want it to be, you know, really detailed and I want it to have this and this and this for yeah. 12 people. But I still want to. <laughs> I still want them to buy something. So I have to convince them that something lesser is better. Or or, yeah. or will still meet their needs or, you know, whatever. But I just, right. 
I honestly think that the current age of cakes that are gravity defying and I don't know, they're doing all sorts of stuff like taking you out to dinner and whining and dining you or whatever it is those cakes right. are doing. I think it's a self-indulgence on the part of our industry. I don't think that's a problem. I think we just need to be honest about the fact that it's a self-indulgence. You said it yourself, yeah. 90% normal cakes, 10% mm-hmm. crazy ones. Right. And yet what are we teaching? We are teaching progressively crazier and crazier and crazier cakes. If anybody's listening to this, looking into getting into teaching, please do yourself a financial favor and start teaching the basics. Teach techniques. And I always try to teach techniques because I have definitely taught a a ballerina hippo. But if you took that class, you'd also learn how to make any kind of two-legged creature. Yeah, right. I mean, it's interesting about classes, too, is that teachers report back all the time that students never want to do anything other than what they've been told in class. And I think, well, no, actually, the sign of a good class is that you can take those skills and apply it to something else. Right. Otherwise, don't take the class. But I must admit, totally my pet peeve is that I look at the classes on offer these days and I go, when, like, how often are people ordering that? But again, maybe that's just the social media revolution, that that's what teachers are putting out there. But in reality, there is, I hope, I hope, my sincere hope is that there is a whole crowd of cake decorating teachers out there literally just teaching the basics, how to cover, how to fill, how to pipe, how to you know, do all the simple stuff because that's where the money is and will remain. Right. I think. Exactly. Have you taught much lately? You know, not really a whole lot. It's been kind of nice to stay home. You know, for a while, I I feel like I pounded the pavement a lot. You know, it got to be the point where I was like, where, where are we? Where are we? What are, have we been there? It's Tuesday. This must be Amsterdam. (laughs) Yeah. Like what? Yeah, and then where I can't, where all the trips kind of blend into each other, and then I realize that, well, gosh, I can't say that I wanted to travel there because I don't know if I ever saw the outside of the hotel ballroom or wherever the class happened to be. Yeah, I think there's a, there was a misconception yeah. that the travel and teaching thing is like really romantic, and you get to spend all this time like having vacations. <laughs> it's not really like that. You show up, you teach, you leave. That's it. Exactly. If you're, if you're lucky, some local will like take you to a decent restaurant for dinner or something, but that's kind of the extent of the vacationing part. Mm-hmm. I remember flying to Hawaii one time, getting there in the morning, it was an overnight flight, teaching that day, sleeping that night, and getting back on the plane in the morning. Why did I do that? Well, you did that so that we can have this conversation now, and that future Bronwyn yeah. will never do that again. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to give you the opportunity to have the final word of advice. This is your big moment, Bronwyn. Like, prepare yourself, gird your loins, put on your superhero cape, whatever you got to do. I'm going to give you the opportunity to say whatever it is you want to say to aspiring cake decorators out there. The best advice is experience is the best teacher. You want to know how to make that cake? Just try it. Just try it. Just try it. You would be so surprised at what you're capable of doing if you actually do it. I always use the example of drawing. People say, oh, I can't draw. Yeah, but when was the last time you tried? Was it in elementary school? Because then it's time to pick up that pencil and try again. Just try. People are afraid of failure, you know? I know. Oh, my God. I have. I fail weekly. Absolutely. You're not trying enough if you're not failing. Well, that's it, right? And my whole thing is you actually, by not doing it, that's also a failure. Exactly. It's worse than failure. Yeah. I often joke that I'm like the least athletic person on the planet, but I would so much rather come last in a race than be sitting on the bleachers eating chips. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd rather be eating the chips, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, 
I'd probably be running with the chips, you know. This is why you are my people. You and I can run. <laughs> you know what? We need to set up like a cake makers, like a, what do you call it? Like a, like when one person runs and then you hand over the baton or whatever to the next a relay. Yes. I feel like instead yes. of a baton, it needs to be like a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always wanted to do a cake that was powered by bicycles and that we would all, it would be like a train, but it was like human powered train. And so that we could eat cake and work out at the same time. Oh my God. That's genius. Driving this train. Wouldn't it be great? Why have you not done this yet? I know. Because I can't find enough crazy people to help me. But now I know that I can count on you. Well, I'm coming to Dallas this fall. And I volunteer to either ride the bike or eat the cake or both as it happens. Perfect. No, wait. Perfect. Can I be the tra- – no, I think that's your job. I was going to say, can I be the train conductor? But I feel like you have probably earned Oh, no, the you ride. can. Because I am a good caboose. <laughs> If we eat too much cake, we're going to end up with a hell of a caboose, that's for sure. Absolutely. Rowan, you are a complete superstar. I admire you so much, not just uh, from, an, from an artistic point of view, but also from a running a business point of view. I just think that you are completely amazing, and I'm so looking forward to catching up with you again uh, this fall when I come back to teach in Dallas. Absolutely. I'm only- Ooh, we're going to have fun. I'm only going to be there for five seconds, just so you know I'm coming in and I'm teaching and then I'm leaving. And then you're leaving. That's oh, right. No. I'm counting on you to be my local who takes me to the good restaurant, okay? Oh, I will. For anybody listening to today's podcast, I will be putting up links so that you can find all of Bronwyn's work at Frosted Art and uh, a few historical links too. I found some recently, which made me laugh, which I feel like we all need to watch her video travels. <laughs> so I'm going to put up some interesting links. You can find those at thebizofbaking.com. If you have a commentary either about what we talked about today or you want to suggest a guest or really you just want to send me a message saying, hey, Michelle, you're awesome. You can do that at michelle at thebizofbaking.com. Thanks so much again, Bronwyn, for chatting to me today and I hope you have a great week. My pleasure. You too. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.